beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to say, when I read this psalm, I am amazed at the, uh, David's character. I'm amazed what he does when he goes through the difficulties of life. As we saw that this is a psalm of David when it says as the heading that he was in the wilderness of Judah. And in the scriptures, we only find those two places that he is in the wilderness of Judah. And one is when he is being pursued by Saul, King Saul. And the other is when he is being pursued by his son Absalom. And I told you last week that it had to be that second occasion. So David is an older man because in verse 11 he says that the king shall rejoice in God. David at this time is king as he is fleeing from Absalom and he is in the wilderness of Judah. Now why I am amazed at David's character is notice what David does when he flees from Absalom. He goes to the Lord. He is finding his comfort, his strength, his encouragement in the Lord. He reminds himself of the promises of God. He reminds himself of God's holy word. Now, that is an example for us. It's a teaching tool for us. To realize that for us as well, that our strength is going to be found in any difficulty that we go through, by cultivating the promises of God in our life. Something that we don't do very well. We need to practice at doing that. We need to practice at doing that when the times are good, when the sun is shining, because then when the cloudy days come, it is something that is like muscle memory, spiritual muscle memory. We immediately go right to it and go to the Lord in prayer and find comfort in the God that provides for us. Now, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, We read in 1 Samuel 30, this is what David did when he and his men came back to Ziklag, and he had been off with Achish, and he was fighting with the Philistines, being one who was escaping the the hand of Saul. And so he he found favor in Achish's sight, And when David was told not, he couldn't fight with them as they were going out to war and the five Philistine lords didn't want David and his men and so they were going against the Israelites and David never fought against the Israelites. Uh, But uh, anyway, the five lords, they weren't comfortable. They told him, Achish, get rid of David. I mean, what other way could he best engrace himself again with King Saul uh, than to fight against the Philistines when the battle is hot? So David and his men, 600 of them, go back to Ziklag. And as they are approaching Ziklag, which is probably two or three days walk, uh, they see the city is burned. Now, thinking about smelling the smoke, seeing the city, and then panic. You can see the panic. You, You can think about this. The panic begins to take place. The anxiety begins to well up. And the men start moving faster because they are, even after have been walking and such a long journey, but for the concern for their families. And they get to Ziklag and all of their wives and kids, their families are all gone. So at this point, the men cried, the text says, until they had no more strength in them to weep. They were struck. When the weeping was over, 
that turned to bitterness. And the bitterness was directed at David. The bitterness was because in their mind, the one to blame for the kidnapping, and they didn't know what had happened. They didn't know if their families were alive. They didn't know anything. But they knew one thing, that David didn't leave any men at Ziklag to defend their families. Because all the men that took up the sword were with David, 600 of them. So the bitterness turned to anger, turned to outrage. And the men spoke of stoning David, their leader, their beloved David. What does David do? Well, let me ask you this. What would you do? How would you respond? Would you run? Would you compromise? Would you give in? Would you melt? What would you do? The the text, 1 Samuel 30 verse 6 says that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He doesn't go to the shrink. He doesn't go pick up something to drink and begin hitting it hard so he can inebriate himself, be intoxicated, and escape that, what he's impending right there. Then doesn't care, right? To self-medicate, as we would say. No, he doesn't do that. He strengthens himself before this angry 600 men. I mean, what would that look like? What would it look like to be facing 600 really valiant men, men of war, men are, that are fighting, that knew how to carry the sword? And they're all grimy and sweaty and in anguish and angry, and the faces are frowning, and you can see it. And they want to kill him. He doesn't flinch. He strengthens himself in the Lord his God. Now the principle in strengthening yourself in the Lord our God is going back to the teaching of Scripture and remembering the promises of God. This Jonathan did with David at an earlier time when David made this comment, Surely I am going to die at the hands of your father, Saul. And David strengthened, or was strengthened by Jonathan, when Jonathan said this, Certainly not. You, you, David, were anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. You are going to be the next king. You surely will not die at the hands of my father Saul. He strengthened David's soul by reminding him of the promise that was given in Scripture. When you struggle with difficulties in your life, you comfort yourself by going back to the teaching of Scripture to know that God has a purpose in all that He does. And He is working all things together for the good of those who love Him. To those who are the called according to His purpose. That's strengthening yourself in the Lord your God. When you have a difficulty, when you're grieving your soul by a sin that you commit, and then you wonder, has God cast me off? You go back to the teaching of God's Word, and you know that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always. That, beloved, is strengthening yourself 
in the Lord your God. Now this is again, we find the example of David here being pursued by Absalom. He begins again to strengthen his own heart by going back to the promises, reflecting upon the teaching of God's word and causing that to be a balm in his soul to give him strength to continue to keep running the race that is set before him. Notice in verse 4. Again, just thinking of the context. One who was being chased by Absalom. The son who he loved. But because David, of his missteps, of not doing what he ought to have done, put himself in jeopardy. But in caring for the people... He abandoned Jerusalem so that it wouldn't be starved out and many lives be killed because of David's, the family squabble that's going on. He says, I will bless you while I live and I will lift up my hands to your name. David says, and he's committed to this, he's intentional with this, that my life is to be about blessing, honoring, praising, bringing adoration and exaltation to the Lord my God. Now, let's pause for a moment and let's ask the question. Is that our resolve? Is that your resolve? That as one who loves, that we are not our own, but we have been bought with a price, both body and soul that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, the love to confess it, does your life demonstrate that you truly love to bless the name of the Lord, that you live for Him? You see, beloved, we must be intentional in our life living for the Lord. If you are not intentional in a life that is lived towards the Lord, for the Lord, in honor and praise of the Lord then you will be like J.C. Ryle once said, you will be like the jelly in evangelical. You'll be like a jellyfish. You know what a jellyfish is? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't have. It doesn't have a spine. There are many men in the life of the church that don't have a spine. There are some of you in here this morning that don't have a spine. You need to pray that God gives you a spiritual backbone. Let me say this. If you're not washing your wife with the water of the word, you don't have a spine. If you're not faithfully instructing your children in the ways of the Lord, you don't have a spine. If you're not leading your family in worship, you don't have a spine. You need to pray that God causes you to have a backbone so that you are intentional in honoring Him. Husbands, men, if you're not leading your home, if you are not being faithful as one who leads and instructs your family and the head of the home, thereby reflecting the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have a spine. And the only way that you're going to get a spine is by being in the Word of God. Cultivating God's Word in your mind. So that you think things differently. You're an intentional individual in how you live for the glory of God. You understand priorities. You understand things that are important and things that are not important. 
You understand in your family what is good for your children, what is not good for your children, thus saith the Lord. And you're not going to give them the things that are not good for them. You're going to train them up in the fear and admonition, the instruction of the Lord. And if you're not intentional, you're not going to be one who strives to bless the Lord as long as you live, as David says. Have you ever even said that? Have you ever even prayed in that fashion? Lord, as long as I live, I am going to bless your holy name. Come what may. I don't care what the world does. Has that been your prayer? Has that been your confession? Have those words ever come out of your mouth? Have you uttered them before the Lord or before other people? That's what we need. We desperately need a people of God committed and intentional to living for the glory of Christ and not the ways of this world which are coming to nothing. You know, David uses an analogy of being in a dry desert and searching after water, physically speaking, And he uses that as an analogy of searching the Lord. I have sought the Lord even as one who is parched in the desert, no water turning over every rock to be able to find something to quench my thirst. David says that was the manner in which he pursued the Lord. Could that be said of us? Is it more a pursuing of the things of the world or the pursuing of the things of God? Are your priorities straight? Do you feed more your flesh or more your soul? Your body or your soul? What do you spend more time doing? What's more important to you? It's a question for all of us, isn't it? It's a searching question. It's an irritating question. Some of you are irritated. Good. Be irritated. Confess it to the Lord that your priorities aren't right. That you need first to seek after the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All the other things will be added unto us. The Lord knows the things that you have need of before you even ask Him. He calls us to ask. But He wants us to have the right priorities of seeking. Because, beloved, the truth of the matter is, you will never be satisfied with the things of this world. That's why men accumulate. They want more and more and more, trying to fill the void and quench the spiritual thirst, which they can never quench with the material things of this world. Jesus says, you know what, if you, if you get this water, he told the woman at the well, um, you will have to continue getting this water. This water will never satisfy. But the water that I give is water that wells up unto everlasting life. Spiritual quenching that we all need and we pursue the wrong things to try to quench that thirst. Being intentional. David was intentional in blessing, praising, adoration, obedience, striving. He wasn't a perfect man. It's not what he's saying. But he had a mindset, he had a commitment, he had an attitude. That I'm going to praise and worship God, come what may. He lift up his hands to his name. Uh, This was done in the ancient world. It was a sign, a symbol of adoration, of humility, of thanksgiving, of worship to God. 
Paul makes mention of it, lifting up holy hands as we pray, and no wrath. It was a sign, it was a form of worship. Uh, I'm not saying it's a principle. Um, You find a custom that goes on in the life of the Israelites, but I'm not saying that's a principle that we need to implement today, and so we need to lift up the hands. I'm not opposed to it, you understand. But with all things, be very careful when it comes to worship. Because we are to worship God in no other way than He has commanded us in His Word. And we're easily drawn away, aren't we? We're easily drawn away into doing things in the worship service that detracts from the worship of God because, I don't know, silly things, they're attention-getting things, people are more focused upon what's going on over there than the ministry of God's Word. So, Blessing the Lord, being intentional. That first thing, be intentional. We often say to our kids, why did you do that? I don't know. You often say that to me when I ask you that question. Why did you do that? I don't know. Be intentional. Even if it's wrong, you think it's right. You think that it's the right way and you're striving to do something. Be intentional in doing it, even if you have to be corrected. But be intentional. Do something. So David goes on. He says, My soul shall be satisfied with the marrow and fatness. David recognizes all of the wondrous good things that God gives to us. Paul says it this way, that God has given us all things richly to enjoy. The marrow and the fatness was the richness of the bone. The things that I've seen chefs on TV suck out the marrow. And they say that it's a lot of flavor. It's quite tasty. Um, you know, there was more emphasis on eating the fatty foods. Well, you know, we're so health-minded today, right? We don't want any... That's where all the taste is, right? In the fat. Leave a little bit in there. But they, they found that a luxury. To be able to eat the fatness. David is recognizing... All the wondrous good things that the Lord has given to him. And he's satisfied with what God gives. My soul shall be satisfied. Now notice how it's, it's almost like he's using a metaphor with the eating of the temporal with the spiritual things as well. Speaking spiritually, David wants the deeper things of God. I want the sweet, succulent things of the marrow and the fatness. The flavor. Not the ordinary things. Not the surfacey things. I want to go deep. And that's where the marrow is, isn't it? It's in the bone. You've got to work and you've got to labor to get at the marrow that is in the bone. You've got to crack the bone open to be able to get to the marrow. David has that as well on mind. That he would know and understand and be satisfied, content with the deep things that God gives. And God certainly does give those riches as we mine out His Word. As we seek Him as for hidden treasure. Notice the analogies that are given in Scripture. We are to seek the Lord as we seek for hidden treasure. If I told you that I had a million dollars of gold coins, I know you'd laugh immediately, but if that was the case, that I had a million dollars in gold coins... And 
I was the one who was over in the Mediterranean and I was, you know, I was deep sea diving and I found an abandoned, you know, a ship that had went down. And I found all these trinkets. Well, I found these coins that were all fused together. And I was able to gather them up. And I brought them home. And now, because I have what I need, I'm, I'm going to give the rest away. But you're going to have to work for it. So I'm going to draw a treasure map. And I'm going to have the million dollars worth of coins buried somewhere. And I'm going to give you clues and signs and symbols. And you have to work at it to get to that. How many of you would sign up? How many? I don't think I'd have enough paper back there for you all to put your names on. But when it comes to seeking the things of the Lord, how readily do you sign up? As compared to the things of earth. You see, beloved, something is seriously wrong. That we would seek so vigorously for the things of earth and so slothfully for the things of God. The comparison that's given in Proverbs is that we would seek after the Lord as if we're seeking for hidden treasure. You would keep on keeping on until you found that gold. You would be striving. You'd be losing sleep. You wouldn't eat your meals until you were able to find that hidden treasure. And yet that's what we find with the psalmist. He doesn't give sleep to his eyes. His eyes are weary searching the word of the Lord. David says, and, and notice this, how these two verses are in this one verse. Really, there's a parallel here. How they both hang together. That if you're not seeking for the marrow and the fatness of the things of God, then your mouth won't be praising and your lips are not going to be joyful. Isn't that amazing? The more time I spend in God's Word, the more worship that I have in singing and praising and honoring the Lord. The more my lips are joyful, the more that I have contentment and joy in my heart, the more that I'm seeking the things of God. I am amazed, I am in wonder, I am in love, I am in praise when I see these things of the Lord. And so the truth is that as we dig down deeper, and I'll think about the marrow, and getting right to the marrow, to the bone of it, in, in the inward parts, and the difficulty, but the striving to get there, and as you dig down in there, and you find that sweetness, you come up after that sweetness with a big smile on your face. Let me use an example. Um... Here's a, here's a movie example for you. The Dances with Wolves. There's a, port in there, there's, a, there's a portion in there where he's grinding this coffee. And he gives a sack of sugar to one of the Indians to put in his coffee. And he tells him, you know, hey, taste it first. And he tastes that sweetness. And what does he do? Starts smiling, right? Like he never smiled before. He tasted the sweetness of whatever that was. He didn't know. And it brought a smile to his face. That's what happens to us. When we dig down deep 
into the theology of God's Word. We come up, as we go down deep in theology, we come up high in doxology. We come up as those that our, our mouth is filled with praise. There is a song on your lips. You're hymning, you're, 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 you've got this hymn that is on your mind. You're, you're humming the hymns. You're thinking about the hymns. You're enduring the day. Certain songs are in your head and you're singing them. And you're affecting other people as you're doing that. And your mouth is full of praise to the Lord. A joyful lips. You're joyful. You're joyful as one who has been redeemed when we deserve damnation. You're joyful as one who has been redeemed that you have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ. You are joyful as one of the redeemed because you know all the blessings in the heavenly places belong to you in Christ Jesus. You are joyful as one in Christ because you know that all of your sins have been forgiven for Christ's namesake. Praise and joy for one who digs deep into the marrow and theology of God's word. That's David. You find it again and again. And David again is in turmoil as he writes this psalm. He says, verse 6, When I remember you on my bed. What do you remember on your bed? The idea here is when you can't sleep. When you can't sleep, what do you think about? If we had the little machine that could plug into your soul and then project all of your thoughts on the wall, any volunteers? Anybody like to come up here and reveal everything that's in your mind? And it's, it's not what you say it is, it's what we see it is. What do you think about when you're on your bed? When you can't sleep? You know those nights when you toss and turn? Maybe you have pain. Maybe pain doesn't allow you to sleep. I don't know. You know, as you age, sleeping patterns become weird. They become strange. You know, you fall asleep at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and then you can't go to sleep at 10 o'clock at night. Or then you go to sleep at 10 o'clock at night and you wake up at 11 o'clock at night. Then you're watching the news. And then your wife wakes up and you've fallen asleep watching the news. And it's this back and forth, up and down. What do you do when you can't sleep? This is what David gives. He remembers God on his bed. Remember, it's, it's akin to the word which he says, meditate. Speaking about the same type of things, he's meditating. The, the Hebrew word hagah means to murmur to yourself. And it's, it's, it's a murmur of speaking to yourself. Not silently, loud enough to be heard, but you're not screaming. You know, you've talked to yourself before and somebody has said, what, what did you say? And then you shake your head and realize that somebody heard you talking to yourself. This is what it refers to. Meditating on you in the night watches. What a novelty, isn't it? That I can't sleep, so what do I do? Well, let's turn on the TV. Let's turn on the radio. Turn on music. Turn on some kind of distraction. The world is full of distractions. How about rather reflecting upon the character of God? How about thinking and reflecting, meditating, speaking to yourself 
the attributes of God. Thinking about the sovereignty of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the immensity of God. We, we speak in this way, our God is big. No, no, bad language. Big has a comparison. This is big compared to that. God is immense. He transcends all the limits of time and space and cannot be compared with anything. That's the God that we worship. Meditate upon that. I told you before, driving back and forth once with Pastor Howard Hart, talking to him, this is probably 15, 18 years ago, and I asked him the question about meditation, and we started dialoguing back and forth about it. And he had, he had made this comment to me, which I, I, I understood this, because I learned this from the Puritans, but it, it, you know, just him in living, breathing, saying it uh, was a help. He said, get alone and just think about some of the attributes of God, and maybe just think about one attribute. And get alone and reflect upon that attribute for a duration. Set yourself a limit of time. That I'm not going to be bothered in this time frame because I am really going to reflect. Meditation is not emptying your mind, it's filling your mind. It's filling your mind with the things of God. And as he said, which I had heard this before, it will expand your mind. Why will it expand your mind? Because is there anyone, anything greater to reflect upon, to meditate upon than God? There is nothing greater for you to set your mind upon and reflect upon. It's mind expanding to think about the things of God. You'll become a better thinker when your mind expands on the things of God. Your worship will become more intentional and it will become deeper worship. More committed, more desire, more hunger for the things of God. When you begin reflecting upon the things of the Lord. This is what David is saying. Meditating. Rolling it around. Now beloved, you've got to be one who is in the word of God to be one who is meditating on the things of God. If you're not cultivating scripture, you have nothing for which to draw up, do you? And it's always a sad thing for me to see people go to the hospital and lie there on their hospital bed. And have not been cultivating God's word in their life. They're infantile in their faith at best. And then they struggle with the lack of assurance while they're on their deathbed. And they don't know what to do. What if, what if the government came in right now and imposed this martial law that they are going to confiscate all the Bibles from all the homes? Nobody's going to have a Bible. Would you have enough of the Word of God in your soul to be able to meditate on Scripture if they were able to take your Scriptures? You see, that's how trivial and light we are with God's Word. Holy Bible, book divine, precious treasure, thou art mine. Is there one in here that treats the Bible as a precious treasure? That we cultivate it and love it to such a degree that it is implanted into the soul. We need to meditate on God's word.
Reading it is one thing. Reading is like preparation of a making bread. You roll out the dough, you throw in the flour and all the other things that you're doing, but it's all on the counter. The meditation is like when you put it in the oven. It bakes, it prepares. It causes it to be ready to eat. When it's ready to eat, it's ready to apply. Then you apply it in your life. This is what David said, In the night watches I meditate upon the Lord. The scriptures are filled with that word meditate. Uh, Go through Psalm 119. 176 verses, and you'll find this over and over again. Meditate. Hagah. Muttering God's word, speaking it to yourself. Boy, what an encouragement, isn't it? Speaking God's truth to your soul when times are good, when times are bad. I'm in the hands of the Lord. You're getting ready to go into surgery. My God is sovereign. I am in the hands of the Lord. Whether I live or whether I die. You know what? I know something. I am the Lord's. What a comfort when you're ready to face the scalpel, isn't it? When they put the anesthesia in you. And you don't know. You don't know if you're going to wake up. You don't know physically if you are going to survive that. Maybe you wake up, you're in eternity now. I had a friend who died on an operating table after his fourth heart surgery. Died while having the heart surgery. Woke up and seeing Jesus. Not the surgeon, not the nurses, not his spouse, the Lord. So what a comfort to know that I am in the hands of the Lord. And David says lastly, because you are, you have been my help. God helps his people. God strengthens. Think about providentially how Ahithophel uh, was confused in his counsel and gave counsel to Absalom. And because of that counsel, he didn't do what he should have done. And David providentially escaped disaster. The Lord helped him. The Lord helps us right in the time of need. You know, in our puny mind, our sinful mind, our rebellious mind, we think that God ought to do. This is what we say. God ought to do. God should do. I don't know why. The the, the phrase there, I don't know why God didn't, is you really saying it's a veiled way, it's a backhanded way of saying God should have. Who are we? Who are we? I mean, I can, speaking for myself, you look in the dictionary, the word stupid, and there you'll find my picture. Because I am stupid of lots of things. And I want to question the ways of the Lord. We want to put, as C.S. Lewis would say, putting God in the dock. We want to put Him on the stand. We want to question Him. That's what Job tried, wasn't it? And he ended up putting his hand over his mouth. I spoke too soon. I should have just shut up and submit to the things of the Lord. Anytime you find yourself in an argument with God over that which is virtuous, you know that you are already fallen from a a rational, reasonable mind. You are outside of your mind to do that. God is our help. And you know when He helps? Right when it's needed. Who is the one who determines when it's needed? The Lord does. I wouldn't know. 
You can go back and I can look at many decisions that I've made. Oh man, what a disaster. Why did I do that? Why would I do that? Well, that was ridiculous. That is, you know, I climbed Harney Peak one year at Heidelberg Youth Camp. Hands down, that was within the five stupidest things I've ever done in my life. But God is our help. He is our rescuer, our provider. He is our shield in our great defense. Our rock and our fortress. Notice the metaphor that he gives. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. Metaphorically. God doesn't have wings, you understand. But he's speaking, here, here's the big word, in anthropomorphic language. Which means, in the form of a man, God communicates to us. Calvin once had said that God lisps to us. He speaks baby talk to us. He stoops down. It's the mode of accommodation. He speaks to us in a way and accommodates to our language and our understanding. He enables us to understand. You know what it means, and you've seen this, of a chicken who lays out its feathers and covers its chicks underneath the shade, as it were, of the feathers. Or of the rain, or the elements, the weather. There's protection. And this is what David is saying. God's wings, as it were. God's protection provides shelter for us. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. God is the one who is our shield and our great reward. And therefore we run to Him. Clearly, beloved... David, being pursued by his son, finds his comfort, his protection, his shield. The consolation of his soul, the encouragement to go on another day. Not in the things of the earth, but the things of the Lord. I would encourage some of you who are really struggling. You're really struggling in your life. Whether it be your marriage relationship whether it be your employment, maybe your neighborhood, your family. To move away from the things of the world, trying to find your help from the things of the world which have not given you help. And to set yourself under the shelter of God's protection. Cultivating, meditating, rejoicing in His Word. Cultivating that more and more in your life so that it might transform the way that you think. It will, be, it will be a great comfort to your soul. It'll enable you. It'll strengthen you. It'll affirm. It'll bring assurance to your heart. It'll bring contentment to your soul. Satisfaction to your soul. Even as eating the most succulent food. This is the, the, the principle that David gives right here. Even in the midst of the trial. Keep on running, keep on searching, keep on finding your comfort in the only wise God. The one who will always keep us from falling. And the one who will present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Because He is the only wise God, our Savior. And to Him belong glory and majesty and honor both now and forevermore. 
Amen. Shall we pray?